Welcome to the FaithBridge Sermon Podcast. We hope you're encouraged by the message. For more in-depth content and answers to questions submitted during the sermon, check out our podcast called Postscript. You can find it on iTunes or on our website at faithbridge.org forward slash podcast. Welcome. Glad that you're here today. Why don't you take your Bibles and we will go into Luke chapter 19. And if you need a Bible, just flag down one. Uh, The ushers will be coming by. Luke chapter 19. Now, last week we started this series that we're calling Breathing Room, in which we're working to figure out not so much how do we manage our minutes better, but trying to get to a deeper level, level, working to get to the core of the matter. How do we unclutter our souls? Remember, that's what we started in last week. Few things have the power to throw our souls into chaos, like what I want to talk about today, and that is money, our finances. The reason for this is that it requires a lot of energy to act on the surface of our life, like everything's going along just great, when down deep we actually know we're on the verge of collapsing financially, an out-of-control financial picture leaves us feeling very vulnerable. No matter how much energy it appears on the surface that we have, if we have a dysfunctional relationship with money, we're never going to feel any sense of breathing room in our lives. Just feeling overwhelmed by the bills, by the debt, just trying to keep our heads above water, let alone remembering we've got to set aside money for kids' tuition someday in college, and then what about retirement someday after that? And So even among those who have adequate incomes and cash flow, money can even be, you know, exhausting for you as well, because you worry, but you worry in a different way. Your worry comes more from this kind of thinking. I've worked hard to get where I am and so far so good, but now how do I keep from messing it all up? How do I keep from losing it? Um, and, And so it's a different type of stress, but it's stress nonetheless. And so I'm, uh, just thinking today could be a very pivotal day in many of our lives. If we will let God, uh, speak to us. Now, I want, I want to make a disclaimer. As a pastor, I realize whenever the subject of money comes up, um, I have to fight a certain stereotype of, of, of this, and that is that, that all pastors really ever want is to get my money. That's, that's what, you know, people say. And all of us have seen money-grubbing preachers on TV and watched with fascination, or at least I've watched with fascination. How do you do that? Especially, how do you sleep at night? And why, uh, while I can't speak for what motivates those people, I can certainly speak for myself and for countless other Christ-following pastors who get no personal commissions, no kickbacks uh, from the quantity of a Sunday offering. Okay, so let's just set that out there. The reason I'm compelled to address the issue of money is because of the sheer number of verses in God's word where it's addressed. It's just crystal clear that this is a very significant core part of our lives. Jesus talked about it more than any other subject except the kingdom of God. 
He gave an unusual amount of time and energy to it. So as a pastor, I take the responsibility seriously to make sure that we're coming along as Christ followers in this aspect of what God's word is saying to us. And, and here's the win for me, okay? The win for me is that it genuinely gives me joy to get to see people equipped to move from feeling overwhelmed to feeling in control of their finances. Time and time again, we've had testimony after testimony of lives that have been changed when hearts begin to be permeated to the, 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 the softening of the Holy Spirit who begins to work and says, now let's work on this aspect of your discipleship. It's a very liberating thing, and that's what I want for you, okay? So I don't want anything from you. I don't get anything from you as a result of, of, of this talk, okay? So now, look, we're going to look at a story of a guy in Scripture who had his own problem with money. It was sort of a fractured relationship with money. Um, and this is in Luke chapter 19, and I'm convinced as we go into the story, this was a guy who was feeling a great deal of shame, about his financial situation. It wasn't that he didn't have enough, it's that he had too much. Let's read it in Luke chapter 19. Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. He wanted to see who Jesus was, but because he was short and couldn't see over the crowd, he ran ahead and climbed the sycamore fig tree to see him since Jesus was coming that way. And when Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. All the people saw this and began to mutter, he's gone, into the, gone to be a guest of the sinner. But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, look, Lord, here now I give half my possessions to the poor. And if I've cheated anybody out of anything, I'll pay them back four times that amount. And Jesus said to him, today, Salvation has come to this house because this man, too, is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. Okay, so Jesus entered Jericho. He's passing through, and here's this little man, Zacchaeus. He's a tax collector and wealthy. The two could be synonymous for a reason I'll explain momentarily. So he wants to see Jesus, but he's got this problem of shortness and he can't see, so he's gonna climb up the sycamore tree. Now we have to remember that Zacchaeus was a Jewish man, okay? Surrounded by all of these Jewish people where he lived. The reason that he was so despised is that he had sold out to the Roman government and said, yes, I will go and collect the taxes of my fellow Jewish people and give you, the Roman government, the taxes that you're uh, demanding. Now, the way that taxes worked back then, we know you didn't just get this thing in the mail and it came from the government somewhere and you know this is what I got to do. No, somebody actually came to you and said, here's what you owe, which left Zacchaeus a lot of fudge room as he went door to door to collect these taxes from his fellow people who he was going to give away. He'd give them what they required, but then he's building in this fudge room for himself. And you do that time and time again, and it will start to make you feel like, I'm going to go crazy. Because you know there's no foundation under what I'm doing. 
This thing is going to come crashing in. I join with those who say perhaps the reason that Zacchaeus climbed up that fig tree that day was not so that he could just see Jesus, but rather because he was desperate. He had gotten to a point of desperation. I mean, think about it. What would drive a wealthy man to go to this extreme, sacrificing his dignity, having to hike up his tunic, climb up a tree in broad daylight with a crowded street full of people who are watching uh, as Jesus comes back by? But because he climbed that tree, I think we see an act of desperation. He wanted help. Perhaps Jesus' teaching is about grace and forgiveness had given him hope, maybe hope deep down, I could actually turn this thing around and get my life in right order. Maybe he'd been doing it for decades, extorting money from his own people, and it just caught up to him. And Zacchaeus said, enough of this. I, can't, I cannot do this any longer. So he goes charging out, climbs the tree, now let's watch the scene unfold. Jesus spots him up in that sycamore tree and he looks up at him and he says, Zacchaeus, you come down immediately because I need to go to your home. Now, let's imagine what kind of home Zacchaeus had with wealth, wealth like this. I don't suppose it was just a little one-room hut. It probably was, uh, well, it probably was some sort of statement that he had made, maybe gated, maybe spacious, maybe beautiful. You can feel this tension that's building in the story. And I'm sure the closer Jesus and he got to it and walked in the door, he was feeling increasingly uncomfortable. What had once made him proud now was finding him feeling terribly ashamed. Scripture doesn't tell us what happened in that di dinner conversation? But we know that something did happen that transformed his heart, rocked him to the very core, turned him upside down, at which point Zacchaeus stands up and declares, Lord, here and now I give half my possessions to the poor, and if I've cheated anybody out of anything, I'll pay him back four times that amount. At long last, he's surrendered the big idol of his life, his wealth, his shackles that had kept him a prisoner had now fallen to the ground. He was free. Interestingly, Zacchaeus is one of only a few people profiled in Scripture who experienced not just one transformation with Jesus, but really two. The first, of course, was the spiritual transformation that he experienced. And that's the experience that any of us experience when we initially come into an awareness of the reality that God loved us and came to this earth and Jesus and died on the cross for us. And our substitute our sins and rose and conquered the grave so that we could have life. And, and there is absolutely a transformation. We call it justification. We call it salvation. We call it uh, any number of things. When a person comes to know Christ, Interestingly, though, I think a lot of people experience the transformation of knowing Christ, but it never gets to touching their money. And that's a problem. Zacchaeus experienced this second 
transformation. It was this financial transformation. As a result of what you've done, Lord, look at what I'm going to do now. I can't help myself. I've been so amazed by your love, amazed by your grace. I can't constrain myself from going back now. I've got to give, 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 and I've got to return, 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 return a lot as well. Truly, he is a man who had experienced two transformations. And I think it'd probably be a good thing if any number of us who perhaps experienced the first transformation, you know Christ. You say, oh, yes, I've trusted in Christ. I came to know I love Jesus. It was at this camp or it was at this church or wherever. But my question today is, have you let him transform your finances? In the last minutes uh, today, I want to borrow from Bill Heibel's book called Simplify. Um, in which he outlines five keys to financial transformation. I want to go through those. I think they're good. If you're taking notes, here's the first one. Realization number one. All that I have comes from God. If you're ever going to have a financial transformation, you're going to have to come to this realization. All that I, None of us got to where we are 100% on our own. None of us did that. We've, you know, we've, we've had teachers, parents, bosses, others who influenced us and, and gave us a job offer or gave us a break along the way. These, these were gifts directed our way from God. And scripture boldly states, every good and perfect gift is coming down from the Father. God gave you life. God gave you talents. He gave you aptitudes. He gave you learning abilities. He opened up your educational, your vocational doors in your life. And so a humble person has to acknowledge, I did not get here all by myself. Everything I have ultimately finds its way back upstream to the loving hand of God. You're a daughter or a son of a father who has given you everything you have and who invites you now to steward all those talents, all those abilities, all of those things that he has given to you for his purposes. He says, I want you to be my steward of those in the years that I give you here on earth. Now, here's the thing. God's ownership, realizing this, um, actually enhances our relationship with him. For example, if you are staying in uh, a vacation home of some famous actor or actress, you would be reminded of him or her every day, probably in a hundred different ways, pictures on the walls and these sorts of things uh, that would just bring you back to, bring back to mind the reality, I'm getting to stay in this person's house. And that's what is in our relationship with God. The house in which we live is his house. The car that we drive is his car. The garden that we plant, it's his garden. We're only the temporary stewards of things that belong to him. Being aware of God's ownership can free us. It can free us from being anxious, possessive, um, 
right. I think of the freedom that John Wesley, one of my heroes, knew along these lines when he first found out that his house had been destroyed by fire. He pondered it and said, well, the Lord's house has burned. One less responsibility for me. He really understood this. Now my question to you is, can you say to God and really mean it? All that I have, I realize has come from you and ultimately belongs to you. Can you say that? Once you've begun to metabolize that, let's move to a second uh, key belief. And that is joyful living can be found within God's current provisions for my life. It's human nature for all of us to look at greener pastures over there and to wish for better circumstances and I wish I had more of this or an easier one of those and, and if only I had a better one of those jobs or a nicer house or a newer car, then I would be happy, right? No, apparently not. Interestingly, United States, which is among the wealthiest of countries in the world, if that were the case, possessions, money equals happiness, we would grid out as one of the happiest nations on earth. But interestingly, in 2012, Gallup Poll uh, did a survey, ranked the United States 33rd on the happiness scale of nations all around the world. In fact, seven out of the top 10 countries were in Latin America, which generally ranks very low on the typical economic scale. And so you have civil war-torn Guatemala, for example, number seventh highest in the world in terms of positive emotions, despite gang violence, homicide rates, crippled economy, Guatemalans are happy. Similar stories reflected in Panama. This data may surprise analysts and leaders who solely focus on the economic indicators. But it's true. Money cannot equal greater happiness. Someone fully reconciled to God financially can joyfully accept God's current level of provision for his or her life. Happiness is only going to come as we begin to say, I'm going to accept where I am and I'm going to live there. Now, what does that mean about debt? To talk about that just briefly. By definition, debt comes from wanting more than God's provision currently in our lives and arranging for ways to get that more right now. And here's the problem. I know any number of sincere Christ followers, people right here at FaithBridge, people I know well and love. Um, But they spend more than what God has seen fit to provide for them. And they incur large amounts of debt and experience shame and pressure that accompanies it. And they complain. I don't ever feel like my life's going in breathing room and stress and all this sort of Well, maybe it's because you're doing a lot of this to yourself. When you overspend to maintain an inflated artificial lifestyle, it's like saying to God, hey, God, you blew it. You messed up. You were supposed to provide here, 
but you put me here. Instead, you got it wrong. So I'll just cover for your mistake because I need it now. So I'm going to incur more debt and arrange for a new level of provision. And it might feel good for a moment, but debt puts you into bondage, Scripture says. And eventually when it all comes crashing down, you're suffocating under the weight of bills you can't pay and you find yourself overwhelmed with emotions, chief among them shame. And the reality is God wants something better for you. He wants something better for all of us. So simplifying our life means diligently living within God's provision for you and diligently working to free yourself from whatever debt you are currently carrying. Imagine a whole day, just a whole day of having no debt, just going through life and thinking to yourself, I, I'm debt free. You know, the car, it's paid in full. The meal that I just paid for, it's just paid for right there. The sun just shines brighter. When we're debt free, the air we breathe feels fresher. Your conscience feels cleaner when we're free of debt. Third, realization. When I honor God through giving the first 10% of all my earnings to his purposes, something supernatural happens. The disclaimer that I made just a few moments ago about the stereotype about pastors talking about money comes into play, particularly on this, on this third one, okay? But I'm unapologetic about communicating what Scripture teaches about tithing. And again, I have no dog in this hunt. It won't benefit me personally for you to get your financial house in order, uh, it, 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 it's your business. I'm just going to tell you what God's word says, and I'm talking about it for your benefit. Okay, scripture says, honor the Lord with your wealth, the first fruit of all your crops. Then your barns will be filled to overflowing, your vats will brim over with new wine. He says, bring the whole tithe, a full 10%, into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, the Lord says, and see if I don't throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so many blessings that there'll not be room enough to store it all. Now, whenever we talk about this subject, the room always tends to get just a little bit quiet because people feel a little bit guilty, okay? So let me just say this before we go any further. I'm going to declare this is a guilt-free zone, all right? Okay, just because I want you to listen and I want you to think about what we're talking about. It says guilt-free. You can put your, your wall down, okay? When the Bible asks us to take the first tenth of his earnings and give it to, the, to his purposes in this world, it requires faith. It means we're setting aside 10% of God's provision and that we're going to be committed to living off of less as a result. So we have this 10% less to work with in order to keep that healthy margin. Now, I want to illustrate this way. Imagine two friends, okay? We got Mike over here, we got Jim over here. Both Mike and Jim are of Christ followers, okay? They've been Christians for roughly the same amount of time uh, in their life, but Mike has a little bit more faith in this area of God's provision. Jim kind of has a hard time trusting God in this aspect of his life, 
okay? And so one day, Jim says to Mike, hey, I've got to get from A to B financially, and it's going to require 100% of what I've got. The only way I can get from A to B is to take 100% of what I'm earning, and then I think we can get from A to B. Mike, on the other hand, listens to what God's word says and says, well, I got to get from A to B also. Um, But I believe that God can get me from A to B on 90%. I just believe that he can do that. And so I'm going to give 10% back to God, back to his causes, back to his people who need it. The way that scripture instructs. And I believe as a result for my faith, God's not only going to take me from A to B, but then he's going to take me from B to C. Because his word promises that he will pour out overwhelming blessings. I won't tell you what the blessings will be, but I just know they'll be there, whatever form they come. It's a blessing. Now, this new place, C, this isn't even on Jim's radar. He's doing simple math. His math is just A to B, and that's where the road ends. But Mike finds that Scripture says, no, 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 there is this C out here. It's a place of blessing. It's a place of favor. Mike doesn't know exactly what C is going to look like, like I said a moment ago, but he has a hunch it's going to be even better than just getting to B. Here's the reality, friend. Every Christ follower I've ever known who applied this faith-filled practice in their lives have some C stories that they can tell. Stories of answered prayer, stories of healed marriages, stories of new opportunities, stories of doors that just opened out of the blue. There's just nothing quite like living in obedience from A to B knowing God will open up that C if I'll get from A to B on the 90. But here's the fascinating thing. Both Mike and Jim think the other is an idiot. So Jim says, you're crazy, Mike. Think, look at the numbers. There's no way you can get from A to B on 90%. You're crazy. Mike, on the other hand, says, you're the crazy one. I've seen God do it before. You're crazy for letting your story end consistently at B and not trying. Could we do this on 90 and trust him with the 10 and see what he does as a result of that? Now, my question is, which one are you more like? You're like Jim or you're like Mike? Either way, you're crazy. We're all crazy. You just got to choose which way you're going to be crazy. Okay? My hope is that you'll say, I'm going to try, even if just for a season. I'll just test it just for 90 days or half year or a year. I'm just going to test, and we're just going to see where we come out here and see what God does. I can tell you somebody who has tied there since I was a little kid, since my dad set the little buckets out and said 10% to God, 10% to savings, and 80% to, to spend on, and just sort of the rhythm that I always lived with. 
I have sea story after sea story after sea story in my life. Let's talk about a fourth key to this financial transformation. I set aside a portion of all my earnings into a savings account for emergencies, long-term goals, and my later years. Okay? Just two short verses uh, in Proverbs. King Solomon paints, paints a word picture that communicates a lot on this subject. He says, take a lesson from the ants, you lazy bones. Learn from their ways and become wise, though they have no prince or governor or ruler to make them work. They labor hard all summer gathering food for the winter. All of us have winter seasons, right? You've been through a winter season. All of us go through winter seasons with our finances. You know you're there. Maybe when there's a layoff, you lose your job. Maybe you get downgraded to part-time. For whatever reason, the income that you were counting on uh, cannot be counted on at this point. Stuff breaks down then. Invariably, it all works together. The furnace conks out, the car acts up, the washing machine dies. It's like little gremlins breaking your house and everything just goes out at once. Then one of your kids falls and breaks a bone or needs stitches and now you got medical bills that just keep coming and keep coming and, it, and it's, it's like anything that can go wrong will right now. But if you're the kind of person who has adopted the savings pattern of an ant, you've already set aside a portion of that paycheck into a savings account as an emergency fund. And once you get that in good place for longer term goals and ultimately for retirement for the later years, And so you're not caught off guard when winter comes. And there's a great simplicity and freedom that comes to life from adopting uh, this wisdom. And just sort of setting that aside. When we're fully reconciled to God financially, uh, no winter blizzard has the power to overwhelm us. And uh, we can experience peace. One last one. Belief number five. Live each day with an open ear toward heaven. Eager to respond to any whisper from God regarding my finances. Once you've got these first four in place, and it takes some time to get them in place, particularly particularly if you're a little out of order uh, in this aspect. But once you get these four in place, the fifth one's really the exciting one. Just being able to have the freedom to be attentive to the nudgings of the Holy Spirit who who might say, here's what I want you to do. And you actually have the bandwidth that you could do that. You could help this person or or that person. And, And that's part of this dynamism of this relationship that we get to live with Jesus. Again, as I said last week, it's, it's not a transaction. I mean, there is a, there's a justification, yes, but so many Christians, I think, settle just for this transactional mindset. There, it's just like I went to the bank and I got saved. There, so now back to my life. No, no, no. He said, I came to have a relationship with you. And this involves your finances as well. And one of the exhilarating things is, is, is having finances be in a place where you're not out of order. 
and where you can listen to his nudgings. I'll tell you a story and then I'm done. So several years ago, a pastor called me up and he uh, asked if we could have lunch and, and I enjoyed doing those kind of lunches with pastors and teaching and training and sharing stories and all that. And so what are you doing? Here's the ministry. Here's what I'm starting. Da, 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 da. We're going along. And, and before we got too, too long into it, um, he said, you know, Ken, I want to tell you something. I said, okay. He said, it's actually not about you. It's about your father. I said, oh, okay. He said, you know, I don't know, a year, two, three, whatever it was ago, I was really discouraged. And even thinking, I've made a mistake. I shouldn't have come and started this ministry. And just, no. And I went and I opened the mail that afternoon. And there was a little note from your dad who said, I just had you in my mind today. And in that envelope, he had attached a check. It was a generous check. He said, it wasn't even so much the, the generosity, though I certainly appreciated it. It was the timing of it and the fact that it was unsolicited. That God in his great plan just knew I was going to be real fragile on that day. And he just told your dad, why don't you just send him a little something? And he said, that just tipped the scales back and gave me courage and gave me confidence and rebuilt my faith, refortified me from the inside out. Just, just, and, and I know my dad has done that any number of times, but there I was sitting in a black-eyed pea um, eating lunch with this man hearing that story. And I was just thinking about it when I was thinking of this final principle. There really is something powerful about living our lives with a financial transformation where we've really let Jesus come into the ins and the outs of every aspect right down to the last dollar bill. There's a freedom that comes to that. Now, I'd be remiss if I didn't put a challenge to you as we come to the end, okay? So here's my challenge. Now it's going to be decision time for you. In the same way that Jesus looked up at Zacchaeus and said, hey, today, now, I've got to go in your home. I think the Lord would say to many of us, it's time, today, now. Let's let the transformation that I began in you move to the next level. And let's experience that second transformation. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for the, um, the gospel. Thank you for coming to this world, for dying on a cross for us so that the debt of our sin could be forgiven and we could be freed. Lord, thank you for the liberation that comes. God, forgive us, so many of us. We, we live lives um, still in bondage, particularly in this financial aspect of our lives. And we compartmentalize this aspect and segment this aspect of our life way far away from you. And yet, we see how that day you just marched right into Zacchaeus' home. And you loved him 
and you said something. We don't know what you said, but something happened and it transformed his heart. And he said, I've got to change. Lord, my prayer is that you would do that same work in many hearts today, that we could have that type of freedom and then be able to enjoy the breathing room as a result. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Welcome to Postscript from Faithbridge Church. Here we hope to answer your questions and help you dig deeper into the message by sitting down with the teacher of the day. Welcome to Postscript. I'm Luann Riley, Grove Group Director, and I'm here with Care and Bridging Pastor Dan Slagle and Executive Pastor Brian McGowan. And you might be asking yourself, why am I not here with Pastor Ken Worlon? And so in case you weren't here and missed the announcements this morning, we're just going to go ahead and talk a little bit about that. Uh, Brian, yeah. can you give us an update on Pastor Ken? So this past Thursday, for those of you that didn't receive the uh, update via email or Facebook, uh, Ken had emergency heart surgery where he had um, an artery that was 99% uh, blocked, cleared, and put a stent in. And thankfully, um, the surgery was a tremendous success. And so we're all praising God for that, that he's home Friday afternoon, doing well. I saw him on Saturday, uh, and he said he had the best sleep he's had in uh, 10 years. And so we're praising God for, for that good news. That's such good yeah. news. And so um, what does that mean for FaithBridge just in terms of him taking some time off? What will that look like? Well, one of the blessings of having a large and gifted staff is that there are any number of people who can pick up and, and carry on. Ken is going to take uh, an adequate amount of time to fully recuperate. Doctors are uh, being pretty adamant that he get the appropriate amount of rest that he needs. But uh, our preaching plan has been in place for a long, long time. Mm -hmm. And our preaching team will just keep moving things forward and the church will just keep moving forward. Uh, I think it's a testimony to Ken's leadership that even when he's not here, things keep moving as they should. Great, yeah. awesome. And thank you guys for all your prayers and concern for Pastor Ken. And so let's talk a little bit about the sermon today mm -hmm. that we were yeah. blessed to be able to hear thanks to the video and um, his preview. Um, just some practical questions for you. Um, when you look at your finances, what are some practical steps that you can begin to, um, to get some breathing room yeah. in your life? Uh, I think probably the first thing is to first take an assessment of your finances. A lot of people uh, kind of had an idea of how, how much they make, but they have no idea of how much they spend. And then they sort of look up and they realize, wow, we're in debt. And so I think uh, my first piece of advice would be to get uh, a piece of software, whether it's mint.com or QuickBooks or something, where you actually can have your hands on the financial throttles of your world. You see how much you make, you see how much there's going out. And at the end of the day, you can see if you're spending more than you're making or spending less than you're making. And I think that's then and only then can you really understand um, what your situation is and, and then make adjustments mm. to give yourself breathing room. Um, you know, I think when you do that, whether it's the husband or the wife that's in control of the finances, meaning they're the one who's writing all the checks, paying all the bills, um, when the couple can come together, uh, then I think that gives the family breathing room. And because when we're in debt, it's stressful. Not only do the husband and wife feel it, but I, I guarantee the kids will feel it as well, even if they don't exactly know what it is. They'll feel the stress. And um, I mean, we hear over and over that the number one 
um, reason for divorce and for major, major fights in marriage is over money. And so if you can get your mind around what it is um, that's coming in and going out, uh, I think that's probably the most practical thing. And then don't just look at it during tax season, but look at it weekly, monthly, quarterly, and make adjustments. Mm -hmm. It might be that your car broke down and your savings, uh, you know, is, is had to go to pay for that. And so you need to make adjustments in the next couple of months to sort of build that back up. Um, and it's a lot of work. I think for many, it's like working out, you know, on January 1st, you want to work out, you want to get in shape, you know, I think it's the same thing. By two weeks in, most people have not done it anymore. Back to yeah. old habits. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> it's the same thing with money. I mean, for two weeks, three weeks, you're feeling good, you're shopping and you're paying attention all that, but come spring break, You've blown it, and um, I guess my word there is that it's never uh, too late to start. It's all, and, and and you're gonna blow it, but it's just kind of just keeping at it and keep going back to um, knowing that it's it's for good reason. It's it's not gonna be easy, but it's it's for it's for glorifying God and for the good of your family. Yep, and a great place to start is with financial peace. That small group starts Tuesday night. Um, you can find out more about it at faithbridge.org/slash. FPU, and we would love to have you join us for that as well. Mm -hmm. Okay, so looking further into the five keys that mm -hmm. um, Pastor Ken preached on today, um, one of the ones that stuck out to me was living joyfully where in God's provisions sure. um, and being content. Right. Um, can you speak to us a little bit about how that can look regardless of where you are in your financial story? Sure. No, the, the Bible is clear that Contentment is not so much a matter of our circumstances, but the quality of our relationship with Christ. Uh, circumstances are going to change sometimes uh, on an hourly basis. Uh, and if we live according to our circumstances, our moods and our stress levels are going to be up and down all over the map. But if the quality of our relationship with Christ is constant, then true contentment is possible because He is constant. He does not change. Uh, scripture doesn't call Him the Prince of Peace simply because it's a nice title, but He really does bring peace into our lives and an ability to be joyful and thankful under even the most difficult of circumstances. So the key for the believer, I think, is to take our eyes off of whatever our situation may be, focus on our walk with Christ, our relationship with Him, and then all the rest of it really can take on a completely different perspective in light of who He is and what He brings to our lives. Great. Awesome. And I'm certainly grateful for the leadership that both of you provide. So thank you for being here with us today. And thank you for joining us for Postscript. We'll see you back here next week. Thanks for joining us for Postscript. Help us keep the podcast interactive by submitting your questions during the morning services. Learn more at faithbridge.org forward slash postscript.